Praise the Lord. If you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And uh, I've been teaching starting last week through the book of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians. And so I spent a lot of time last week giving some background information about the city. And so if you'd like some of that background information, just listen to last week's message. You can go um, to the um, um, Facebook and you can see the live feed. But uh, just look at that background of the city. And just to give you the best quick idea of what this city is like, um, it's situated and very similar in their day uh, to what our New York City would be. Um, nor- northeast is where New York City is located. That's where Thessalonica was located in the ancient world. It's in the northeast part of um, uh, Macedon. It's so the Macedonian provinces, which is Greece today. It's uh, one of the largest cities in Greece. If you go there today, it's Thessaloniki. And um, as you look at this city, it's very similar to New York also. It had a giant shipping harbor, had fresh water, uh, a lot of ocean, you know, fishing, just a lot of industry. And so it was a city that was always um, just full of people. And so there was around 200,000 people, somewhere between 100, 200,000 people during this time. And Paul comes to the city and uh, he's preaching the gospel. And this is one of his earliest times preaching the gospel. And uh, he's trying to show us how to preach the gospel. So the title of my message today, I'm going to have to backtrack in chapter 1 and go into chapter 2 to set up chapter 2. But uh, Paul is telling us how to preach the gospel. And um, as he came into the city, he wasn't just any normal preacher. Paul had just came from a city, and it's hard to imagine in America, but how many people know that um, in the last century, more people have been martyred for preaching the gospel than in the history of the world? And uh, just a large number of people have been martyred for preaching this gospel that I'm sharing this morning. And we live in America, so we don't quite get the uh, feeling or the flavor of that. But there are places in the world today where they're actually hiding, uh, having services today. And they're actually, their life is at stake because they're in a communist nation or they're in a nation um, that is Islamic right now. And they're trying to preach the gospel with the threat of their life and the threat of their family's lives. And so we need to take this very serious this morning um, and understand why would they do that? Why would they risk their life to preach the gospel and hear the gospel and to tell other people about the gospel? And so this morning, the first thing we have to unwrap, let me read the text this morning. And I want you to notice the word gospel is the third word we're going to read. First Thessalonians chapter one, verse five. It says, because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. You received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example of all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia, 
and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Catch that. Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. Open up your word. Speak directly to your people, Lord. Take me out of the way, Lord. They don't need the words of men. They need your words speaking through me this morning, Lord. So do it, Lord. Uh, Open up hearts to hear and to respond, Lord. Not just to hear, but also to respond. In uh, your name we pray, Lord Jesus, and we thank you. Everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah. So what is the gospel? This is what we're going to answer this morning and why it's so important. First uh, Thessalonians is a very fascinating book. In fact, um, the overall title I have for the whole study is The Return Mail. This is the mail that they received from Paul to explain the return of the Lord, First Thessalonians. Okay, and the reason why I call it the return mail is because all five chapters, like I said last week, um, mentions the Lord is returning quickly, suddenly, without notice, without a sign. The Lord is returning to this world and we had better be ready. Because one generation, we're going to see the return of the Lord and His return is specifically to deliver us, help us escape the wrath that's coming on the, uh, upon the world. And a lot of you see the things that are going on in the world. You say, man, how can God allow this to happen? How can God give people the ability to get away with sin? And you say, well, it's all right when I'm cussing. It's all right when I'm doing things I know is not right with God. But man, how could God let them get away with human trafficking? How many agree with that? Like, man, how can God do that? How can he get, let them get away with a really late term abortion when the, when the child is kicking and screaming and, 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 and the child is murdered inside of the womb in a very late, how many know this is happening in this country? And, uh, it's very late term and, and just abortion. And we say, oh man, God's got to do something about that. And we see all the different people that are shaking their fist at God and saying, I hate God. Man, I don't want God in my life. I don't want God in our world. I don't want God in our schools. I especially don't want him in in my family. And we all recognize that God is just not going to sit idly by and allow that to happen forever. In fact, he says it's storing up wrath. And one day that wrath is going to be poured out on the world. In fact, he says that uh, there is a great white throne judgment that the living and the dead will have to stand in front of. In fact, he says he's going to gather them from the ocean, from the sea, from the graves. Do you know when he says the living and the dead, that includes everybody. There's nobody that lived on this earth. You know, Adolf Hitler is going to be awakened and he's going to have to stand judgment. Every human trafficker is going to stand judgment before God. And uh, guess what? We all have to answer to God. And so this book is all about the return because Jesus is the only one from the foundation of the earth. The Bible says it was designed 
with God and the Son before the foundation of the world, there was a plan to save us from God's wrath. God always had a plan. God said that every human being that will call upon the name of the Lord before the creation of the world, he said, I will save you from the wrath that's coming on this world. And it's only through Jesus. And so this book, every chapter, it's five chapters long, and every chapter always brings you at the end of each chapter back to the return of the Lord. In fact, chapter one, which we talked about last week, he's complimenting them. He's... um explaining how they received the gospel that he preached and they responded in a way where the entire area um, was just resonating with the message. In fact, they took his message to this group of people and somehow that message got out and everybody in the entire area knew about the message and were responding to the message because they received it the right way and they ran with it. And so he's complimenting, but he ends the chapter with um, the fact that they uh, their eyes are clearly focused on the return of the Lord. They're ready. And then the second chapter, Paul is um, defending himself. He's got all kinds of accusations against him. He's been through everything, all right? In fact, he says, you know what kind of man I've been Paul had just came from being put in stocks around his legs, metal stocks, and thrown into a little dungeon. Okay, he was treated terribly. And you say, well, man, I hope he overcame that, but that's not too bad. But then previous to that, he had been beaten so bad after preaching that um, they thought he was dead for sure. And so they left him in a pile outside the city. And uh, some people gathered around him and prayed. Next thing you know, he's back in the city preaching again. And so everywhere he went, they didn't like the message that only Jesus Christ is the name you can call upon and be saved. And everywhere he went, he was um, beaten, flogged, put in prison, you know. And everywhere he went, he was a man, right? And he was boldly preaching the word of God. And so he gets in this second chapter and he's encouraging them and he's saying, hey, here's my defense of who I am as a person and what I'm living for. And he ends that chapter the same way. And he says, I do all this because I want to present you as a crown to Jesus when he returns. Talking about his return again. Chapter 3. He's encouraging them to grow. Don't just receive the gospel, but grow because I want to present you mature to Jesus Christ when he returns. So he ends it again. Chapter 4, he says, hey, you're living around all these pagans and all these worldly people, all these people that haven't received the gospel like you. So let me show you how to live a holy and a separated life for Jesus Christ because he's returning very soon to judge the living and the dead. And he ends it with Christ's return again. Chapter 5 is a call... And he's telling them through that chapter, and we're going to cover these chapters, but he's saying, hey, get ready because the Lord is going to come with a shout. He's going to be in the air and he's going to call us to him in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, and we're going to be resurrected in the presence of God and he's going to protect us from the wrath that is coming on this world. 
So this book is all about the return. What better book can we be preaching about on a Sunday morning than the return of the Lord? Getting ready, because that's all the early church spoke about, was getting ready for Jesus Christ to return. And can I tell you something? There's going to be a generation where there are going to be signs and wonders in the heavens. There's going to be a tribulation, church. How many know this? How many have heard of this? There's going to be a seven-year period that Jesus warned about that's worse than anything that's ever came on the earth. It may be in our generation... In fact, a lot of things look like they're lining up like it could be this generation. Everybody knows that. Everybody sees that. And the message that we're supposed to preach is trust in Jesus Christ because there's a glorious appearing and God is going to remove his church before the seven-year tribulation. That's my message this morning. So good news. Who said that? Michael, you're perceptive this morning. Man, he's always perceptive. I'm always getting encouraging messages all through the week from Michael. But you know, now we get into what is the gospel. The gospel is the good news that this world isn't it. You may have been abused when you were little. You may have had a terrible life. You may have came through a lot of bad things. You may say, man, I miss my childhood. Man, life is terrible. I don't have the best job. I don't have any retirement. I had a terrible childhood. Everything's bad. The enemy's beating you up. But can I tell you something? We're going to open our eyes one day. I'm going to live a little longer. I don't know how long I'm going to live, but I'm going to open my eyes very soon. And it says, when I'm absent from my body, I'll be present with the Lord. And church, it doesn't matter what I've lost in this world. It doesn't matter. Because when I wake up in the presence of the Lord, what's going to happen? It doesn't matter what I lost in this world. I'm in the presence of the Lord. And I think some people understand what I'm talking about this morning. Hallelujah. But listen to this. Titus 2.13. It says, we're waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. James 5.8 and 9. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is what? At hand. So what do we do because the coming Lord's at hand? What's it say there? Is it up there? Nope, it's not. All right. Do not grumble against one another. Brothers, so that you may not be judged, behold, the judge is standing at the door. Are you starting to get the picture here? Why are you grumbling with each other? You have a responsibility to preach this gospel But be careful, because if you don't fulfill your responsibility, beware the judge is standing at the door. He's about to come. Revelation 3.10 says, Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on who? The whole world. To try those who dwell on the earth. Church, that is a doctrinal term called the earth dwellers. That means the ones who are not raptured off of this earth will be dwelling on the earth to experience the wrath of God. But you, it says, I will keep you from that hour of trial that's coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. First Thessalonians 1.10, And wait for the Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, who delivers us from the wrath to come. 
1 Thessalonians 4.16, For the Lord will descend from heaven with a cry, a command, the voice of the archangel, the sound of the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. Those who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Hallelujah. 1 Thessalonians 5.9, For God has not destined us for wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So he's complimenting them on how they handled the gospel or the good news. What is the good news now? The good news is this world isn't it. The Lord's coming back to get us. He'll bless us in this world. But there is a world coming. When we die, we'll be in the presence of the Lord. And church, it doesn't matter what we've been through. doesn't matter what we're going through. Our eyes should be like this Thessalonian church, always on the appearing of our Lord, which is going to be very soon. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. Hallelujah. So how did they handle it? First Thessalonians 1, 5 to 6 that I just read, it says, Because our gospel came to you, and it is on the screen, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Wow, did you see that? The gospel came to them, but it wasn't just words. How many know the gospel in a lot of places is just words? Words and mental assent. Do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord? Well, of course I do. Everybody believes in Jesus Christ. The Lord's my get out of jail free card. Right? Bible says even the demons believe he is Lord. He's just not the Lord of their life. And so it says the word of the gospel came to you. The good news came to you. But it wasn't only in word, it was also in power in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. So what does that mean? The gospel was delivered and how did they respond? They responded with changes in their life and you could tell that the Holy Spirit was in their life with power because their life changed. So let me ask you a question. How is the gospel being delivered in Evansville? Those questions up there, yeah, there they are. How's the gospel being delivered to Evansville? It was delivered to Thessalonica, and everybody knew the power of the Holy Spirit was there, and the Holy Spirit was moving because their lives changed. See, we can we can kind of miss that. The gospel was delivered, the Holy Spirit was there because their behavior changed. You say, well, Chad, I wish we had people shaking in the aisles. I wish we had a lot of big alligator tears. I wish we had a lot of people jumping up and down and doing this and that because we would know the Holy Spirit was in the house. You know what I would love to see? I would love to see people's lives so changed. And I don't mind if you cry. I love crying. That tells me something's happening inside. But if you are crying like crazy and then you go home and you're not changing, then maybe the Holy Spirit wasn't moving in power in your life. Hallelujah. 
Maybe if you're jumping up and down and you're shouting and you're making more noise than everybody's making, I love it. I'm glad when that happens. I'm not going to stand in your way because you know what happened? Let me tell you something. I go to basketball games and I watch my kids. I watch my teams. My, my, my kids do the greatest things on the court and you know what I'm doing the whole time? I look the same as when I got there. I'm just not that emotional, but you know what the person next to me is doing? I've seen people, Brenda, we've seen them over the years. They're swinging cowbells. They're jumping up and down. They're yelling, you know, all over the place. And here's what I've noticed. Everybody has a different personality. Some people worship quietly. How many know that? Not any less deep. Some people are all over the place. You know, they're shouting, they're jumping, they're crying. And how many know we're not all the same? We've got to give room for people to worship the way they worship. Hallelujah. Amen. But here's the thing. However you worship, if the Holy Spirit's not changing your life, then the message was words only. There wasn't the power of the Holy Spirit moving in your life. Because these people were only a year old in the Lord. The Bible says they turned from their idols to serve the living God. And they received it with power and the Holy Spirit was working. And the way we know is because their life changed. And so church, we need to figure out, have we received the gospel? Has the, has this person, Jesus Christ, so changed our life that everybody knows around us that the Holy Spirit is moving in this church and in your life? Hallelujah. Amen. How is he being delivered, the gospel, how is it being delivered to your acquaintances at Walmart while you're shopping and drive through at McDonald's? And you say, man, you shouldn't say that. The gospel is not effective in Walmart, right? But see, this is what this church was doing. Paul had very little success in the synagogue. In fact, there were some Jews that got saved. And believe Jesus Christ is Messiah. But Paul's real success was in the marketplace. That's super Walmart. How many know that? Paul's success was in the market with the pagan people. The people that were partying. The people that were drinking. The people that were the ones that sometimes we don't even want in our church. I hope you were revolted when I said that. These streets around here, that's where Paul was having his success. So let me ask you, how is your gospel being presented when you're at Walmart? How's it being presented at this McDonald's down here? You know, how's it being presented when you're talking to the people on the streets around here or while you're at work? And and so these Thessalonians were being complimented. And church, can I tell you something? When I preach on this, I'm complimenting a lot of people here. How many of you know a lot of us are living this life? This is our life, ministering to people out in the real world and telling people about the Lord. In fact, can I tell you something? I get to share the gospel more with people in the world than I do on Sundays. You know that? I spend more hours on the phone with people that don't go to this church than people that go to this church. And God is asking us to share this gospel to present it to the people around us. And can I tell you something? The gospel is being presented to you this morning. 
you're either going to receive it and go with it like they did, or you're going to let it fall to the ground and it's going to have no impact on the world around us. Hallelujah. This is the good news. First Thessalonians verse six says, chapter one, verse six says, you know what kind of men we prove to be for your sake. See, Paul preached a convincing gospel message. How many appreciate a convincing message? Like, man, that man or that woman or whoever it was that was preaching the gospel, boy, they nailed it. They absolutely nailed it. But how many know when Paul gets done preaching, closes the service and goes to Cracker Barrel, right? That's what we do. That's all right. We can say it. Yeah, we like to eat, right? Hallelujah. (laughs) He backed it up with a convincing life. Paul was saying, you know what kind of men we were when we were among you. And you'll see in a minute why Paul is saying this. He's setting the stage for chapter 2 where he has to defend himself. And so Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they were what we would call the real deal. They were the real deal. They preached the convincing message and then they lived the kind of gospel life that people could imitate. Because it goes on. It says, you became imitators, verse 6, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. You became imitators. Now we normally think of imitators as a bad thing, right? But imitation is the greatest form of flattery, they say. So it says, you became imitators of me. How many know this is the pattern? I'm trying to tell you how to preach the gospel. And you say, well, wait a minute. You're the preacher. Why do we need to know? How many know that according to the Bible, the preacher, how many think I'm going to fall off this? I know some people the whole time I'm going half a shoe over and, uh, and I might, I might do it. I don't want to, I don't want to say that because then I'll do it, you know, but, uh, Preaching the gospel is a team sport. So he's trying to teach our church this morning, how do we preach the gospel together? Because God calls people to preach from here, and we'll talk about that in a minute. And don't be quick to want to be this person. Because we'll talk about the preparation that Paul talks about in chapter 2 that happens to a person that preaches the gospel. So don't be too eager to jump right here. But let's figure out how do we preach the gospel like they preach the gospel. Because the first pattern that we see is they imitated us, he said. Paul, Silas, and Timothy were being imitated by the people. It says they imitated us and the Lord. This is what's going to happen. When we preach the gospel to our neighbors, to our friends, to our co-workers, to people in the community, 
to these young, I mean, I can't tell you how many people I've already met in this community that I'm spending time with, talking two hours every night. My wife will tell you, another phone call. I'm gone for two hours, right? Talking to people about the gospel, trying to teach them the gospel. But here's what's going to happen. They're going to imitate you. And some of you get this false pride, this phony humility, and you say, you shouldn't be following me because you know good and well you haven't taken the gospel serious enough to have somebody follow your life. Let me say that again because you might gloss over it. You know that you haven't taken the preaching of the gospel serious enough that you can allow somebody to imitate you. And God wants us to preach the gospel so people can imitate us. And you say, well, that's terrible. They should be imitating the Lord. But here's what will happen. Mark this down. They will imitate you, and then they will go on to imitate the Lord. A new Christian looks at other believers as his pattern. Then as he matures, he realizes Jesus Christ is the best model. Do you understand that? They're going to look at believers and they're going to say, man, this is how believers act. And they're going to say, well, wait a minute, you know, they don't seem like they love everybody in here. and Or they're going to say, man, these people love like nobody I've ever seen love. They give sacrificially of their time their talent, you know, they give of themselves so sacrificially that they can look at you and they can imitate you. They can see how you love. They can see how you give. They can see how you treat other people. They can see how you live your life in church. How many know in here? We've got to be that. We've got to, we've got to strive to be somebody that people can imitate because they will imitate you until they come to their senses. And realize that Jesus all along was the best model. And that's our hope. Everybody sees he's the best model. But let me temporarily show you how to act until you find out that Jesus really is the only one to follow. Right? Hallelujah. Amen. And it says... You became imitators of us and the Lord. You received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. Now remember, he's, the context is, you became my imitator, Paul's imitator. So where did they learn to have joy? Some of you already answered. Some of you are so sharp. You've already answered my next question. So where did they learn to have joy of the Holy Spirit in the middle of affliction. They were imitating Paul. See, Paul had been beaten. He had scars all over him. He had flogging. He takes his shirt off. Now, I don't know if Paul was one of those that liked to show himself with his shirt off. But if you looked at his back, he had nothing but stripes on it. He had many floggings. He had scars on his face. In fact, the one description we have of Paul from one of the early church fathers is he walked with a limp and he walked kind of bold legged and he walked like a man that had been beaten many times. And so Paul, how many think Paul was kind of a, 
angry man, maybe. No, Paul was the one writing uh, Philippians where he's talking about joy through affliction. You know, he's the one preaching this message about joy. He's praising God that he's able to suffer for his name. How many know that they learned this because they were imitating Paul, Silas, and Timothy because they were the real deal? Church, we got to be the real deal. We can't just go to church on Sunday because that's not how the gospel is preached. You say, well, you preach it. You stick to preaching it and we'll stick to attending and drinking the coffee and eating the donuts. <laughs> that's not how the gospel's preached. He's telling us this is how the gospel is preached. And watch the impact of it. In fact, he says, so that you, this is verse 7, you became an example. This is the word typon in the Greek. You became an example, a typon. That's where we get our word type. You became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word sounded forth from you to Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. So we don't even need to say anything. It says that this group of people became a type or an example or a pattern for everybody in the entire region. And church, don't we want to be that? Don't we want to be a church that people can look at and, and, and Paul could say to us, we're an example of what a church should look like. And let me, let me tell you, Paul wasn't just saying it. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 8.1, he uses them as a typon, an example. He says, and listen to this very carefully, we want you to know, brothers, he's writing to the church at Corinth, which is a, you know, way south of this place. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. He's talking about them. The grace of God was given them to act a certain way, and they took it, and they, they, they lived it out with the grace of God. And it says, for in severe tests of affliction, he doesn't just say tests of affliction. I mean, no, when Paul says severe tests of affliction, he's a man that's went through serious affliction. These people were battered, but they still had joy. And you say, man, praise God for Bible people. Love Bible people. We're the Bible people. We've got to have joy through affliction. You say, well, man, Chad, that's a terrible message. You're not going to get very many people to go here. We need to have joy through affliction. And you say, man, I'll wait till it gets better. No, they had nothing to be complimented about. They wait till it got better. They had joy in affliction, and that's why the gospel rang out. And he says, listen to this. They had severe tests of affliction, their abundance of joy, and their extreme... I'm not going to read that next word. They probably had a lot of money, right? That's probably why they were so happy. They were. It says their extreme poverty has overflowed with a wealth of generosity on their part, for they gave according to their means... I can testify and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly 
for the favor of allowing them to take part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Do you understand? They were poor. He said they gave according to their means, and then he says, actually, they gave beyond what their means were. And they asked us to please let us give money to the people that are in need. Because Paul was probably saying, don't do it, you don't have any money. Do you understand? They're an example for us today on how to receive the grace of God and go with it. You say, well, the grace of God overpowers me. It does everything. The gospel is overpowering. It doesn't. No, you have to take this gospel and you have to live it out because this is how the gospel is preached. This is how the grace of God reaches people who are lost. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm going to amen myself. Amen. Chad, good preaching. Now, whose example were they following? Paul didn't come in a Cadillac in a double-breasted suit. Paul didn't go around saying, man, a preacher should have the finest. No, he came with wounds in his body. He came sometimes not having a meal, paid for his own meals. He made a point of saying that. I paid for my own stuff. I wasn't here to get your money. I wasn't here after your fame, your fortune. I wasn't after any of that. I was taking beatings on my way here. All right? Second Thessalonians 3.9, Paul says, It was not because I don't have the right to take things, but to give you, but to give you in ourselves an example for you to imitate, is what Paul said. Is that how you live your life? I want to behave in such a way that I give an example for you to imitate. And isn't it beautiful that this church was imitating Paul? Verse 8. For not only has the word sounded, the word of the Lord, listen to that, the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. So Macedonia and Achaia, I told you last week, is like saying it's spread all the way to Tell City. It spread all the way to Vincennes. It spread all the way to Carmi, Illinois. He says, but it's actually even went further than that. It's went everywhere how you guys live your lives. How many of you know what a sound system is? Now, when we're in a church this size and you've got a preacher with such big lungs, right? Why are you laughing at that? Big guy, big lungs. Okay, I get it. But I've got big lungs. I could actually probably speak here without the microphone because I can get loud. But how many know the bigger the venue, the more you need a sound system? Have you ever been somewhere where the guy's standing in front and it's so big and the sound is cut, you know, maybe Ford Center, and the mic's not working and you see the guy's mouth moving? But I don't hear anything. This is the example Paul's giving here. He says, you sounded forth, which is the word, exeketai, which is a Greek word that means to ring out, to amplify, or to reverberate. He says, the word of the Lord amplified, reverberated, or sounded forth 
from you in Macedonia and Achaia, and it's went everywhere. Church, you're the sound system. How to preach the gospel. I can preach the gospel on a Sunday morning, and uh, I, I got a kick last week. Brian's not here this morning, but we um, we tried to put live streams everywhere in here. In fact, eventually, we're hoping people are going to be watching live stream all over this building. And uh, Brian told me last week, he said he walked into the men's restroom, and he could hear me preaching. And he was confused. He was like, well, man, when did we put sound in here? And uh, he says, I sure don't remember running anything in here. Somebody back there has a red face. I'm not going to tell who it was. But he said he could hear me preaching from the stall because somebody was watching the live stream on their phone. And he actually verbally said, how is, how do we have sound in here? And somebody said, hey, I'm in the restroom listening to the service. <laughs> but how many of you know this is what this is what Paul, not the restroom, I forget the restroom, but the amplification of the gospel. That means um, taking, in fact, uh, Gordon, where's Gordon at? He's not, oh, yeah, there he is, okay. Forget where you're sitting. Gordon was telling me about how to deal with uh, pests the other day. And what you do, I don't remember which bug you were telling me it was about, but they will take a piece of food with poison in it, They'll take it back to all the other ones, and that's how you kill the whole group of them, right? Now, this is in reverse. We're not trying to kill people. But how many know the gospel is preached by us being the amplification system? That's how it spread. Paul could not. He said, my voice only broadcast to you. But you became the amplifier, the relay you became the reverberation. You became the sounding forth. And now everybody in this whole area knows about the good news of Jesus Christ because of you. How I many know preaching the gospel is a team sport? That means that we get it here and it goes everywhere. That's how it got to what would be their Vincennes and their Tell City and their Carmel, Illinois, because you're telling everybody about Jesus Christ and you're actually, in fact, Paul will say in a minute, he goes, the grace of God made us daring in telling people about the Lord and the good news. How many of you know we should be asking people, are they ready for the return of the Lord? We should be talking to people about their lives. We should be daring enough to say, there's not anything more important in this world today than this gospel being preached. That's why, let me go back, that's why in communist nations, they're risking their life today to preach the gospel. It's why in Islamic nations, they're risking their life to preach the gospel because it's that important to do it. But they're sounding forth like an amplification system, because that's how Paul gave an example to preach the gospel. And then he goes into chapter 2. And church, can I tell you something? We're linked. We're linked. How many of you know if you have an amplification system and you're amplifying it to the world around you, 
How many know if you unplug the speaker who's in the microphone, nothing comes out of the speaker? I'm linked to you, you're linked to me. Paul knew this, and so Paul in chapter 2 begins to say, hey, he says, you know, brothers and sisters, our visit to you was not without results. Now, why would Paul say that? You know, it wasn't in vain or it wasn't a failure because Paul was only there for three weeks and some of the Jews got saved. A bunch of the Greeks in the marketplace got saved. A bunch of prominent women in the city got saved. I mean, you know, a lot of people responded to the gospel, got saved, and then Paul says, it was like you were ripped out of my arms. It's like you were my child. How many have ever seen something where a child is ripped out of a parent's arms? And that's the language Paul uses. You were ripped out of my arms. And so because they started a riot, ran him out of town, he had to leave by the night to go out of town. And he said, you know, I had a successful trip there. He did what the Lord said. And the reason why he said this, in fact, commentators debate, and almost all of them come to the same conclusion that Paul was getting all kinds of accusations from the people in the city that ran him off. So he said, you know it was successful because he's answering questions about the accusations. He's saying, you know, I had success because what do you think they were saying? Paul's a failure. Paul was here for three weeks, and he thought so highly of you guys. He left in the night. He ran to the next city. Paul goes to Berea, has success there. They come from Thessalonica to chase him out of Berea. Then he goes from Berea to Athens. He finally gets his two guys back, Silas and Timothy. He says, Timothy, go back to Thessalonica because they're like my own kids. But the whole time Paul is gone, what's being said to the people? Paul's a failure. Paul does not care about you guys. Paul is only here for money. Paul is sexually impure. You say, where are you getting all this information? If you start reading in first or second Thessalonians chapter two, verse one, it says, I was our visit, I was not without results. We previously suffered, been treated outrageously in Philippi. As you know, with the help of our God, our God, we dared to tell you the gospel in the face of what? Strong opposition. So he's being opposed while he's trying to win the lost. And it says, for the appeal we make does not spring from air, impure motives, or trying to trick you. He's addressing the false accusations. He's saying, I didn't teach you something that was an air. I directly got it from the Lord. I did not try to do something impure. And he's speaking there in the Greek, sexually impure. What do you think they were accusing him of? Something sexually impure, and the guy's taking beatings all the way down the coastline to deliver the gospel. Then they said, I'm not trying to trick you. 
That's the Greek word for putting bait on a hook and trying to get somebody to take the bait. So what do you think they were accusing of? Paul's just trying to trick you. Then he's saying that I didn't have anybody buy my own food or take care of me. He was actually working all through the morning and all through the night, providing his own pay because he knew they were going to accuse him of that. Can I tell you something, church? How do you preach the gospel? The preacher is directly connected to the amplification. So who will the enemy always attack? Paul, Silvanus, or Silas, and Timothy. And then Paul says something interesting. He says, on the contrary, I mean, contrary to what they're saying, we speak as those approved by God and trusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. Paul says, I have been entrusted. You know what it means to be entrusted? That means God personally said, Paul, I'm giving you the mission of preaching the gospel. And then he says, because God has already tested my heart. And can I tell you something? I'm expositionally preaching here, and because this is public information, I'm going to share it. You know, I had a letter wrote, wrote about me that said I was mentally, I needed counseling. I need to see a therapist. And I'm saying this publicly because can I tell you something? Jesus Christ has entrusted me to preach this gospel. And the reason he's done that is because he has tested my heart. And I'm just lining up with Paul here. You say, well, man, Jed, maybe you have mental problems. Church, can I tell you something? That was a lie. I've been tested mentally my entire life. In fact, since I've been here, I've had a relative that was very close that killed himself. I had another relative that was shot in the back of the head and murdered. I've had other family members have been murdered. I've had other family members besides that that have committed suicide. I've had three transmissions that have went out. I've had two engines blow up since I've been here. I've been through every mental challenge you can possibly be through. I've been tested. And you know, I recently went to Columbus and I started to cry. And one of the pastors pulled me back and he said, hey, what's wrong? And I said, man... I said, I've been so mentally strong my whole life, I don't know how to be weak. And he said, Chad, you've been transparent more than anybody I've ever seen, but you've never learned how to be vulnerable. And he said, God is going to teach you how when you're weak, he is strong. And he said, it's okay to break down. It's okay to say you're not strong. And so I just allowed myself. He said, you've been so strong mentally your whole life, you've never let yourself break down. And and I just began to cry. And I said, you're right. God is strong. I am weak. And I cried. And and But can I tell you something? I've been tested mentally. I've been tested financially. 
I'm one of the few people here that can say I lost a million dollars in business within a month from several places supernaturally. And I had to stand there. I was doing $2 million in revenue and lost a million dollars in one month. And it had to be supernatural. And God just left me there to receive it. How many have ever done that to that level? And I remember saying to myself, God just said, hey, it's all right. Don't worry about it. Money means nothing. Can I tell you something? I've been tested, tried, like he said. My ministers who I've entrusted with the gospel have been tested. I don't care about your money. I don't care if you withhold your tithes. I don't care if you're a big donor. I don't care that you, whatever, I've been tested in the area of money. I've been tested in the area of being a leader. I'm just going to do this because we're connected, church. If the enemy has an ability to break down the preacher, he's going to break down this church. And can I tell you, the Lord has tested those he's entrusted with this gospel. And Paul was telling them, I've been tested. You know, I had, I had other accusations that during this church plant that somehow I was tired and moody because of the church being built, and that was not the truth. Can I tell you something? I've worked 100-hour weeks for 20 years. If you don't believe it, ask my wife. I've been tested in the area of being tired, and I was not moody, was not tired, was not worn out. Did not happen, church. Somebody said, well, Chad is upset and losing his temper. Can I tell you something? I have not been losing my temper. I've had hundreds of times where the enemy has baited me to try to lose my temper And I've been as even killed as a person can be. Because there's strong opposition with the gospel. Paul dealt with it directly, and I'm dealing with it directly. Somebody said, well, Chad's spending all our money. He put all these live feeds up. He uh, built a wall in the nursery. He built a mother's room. He uh, is building a cafe. Uh, He's remodeling the church. Can I tell you something, church? I did the exact same thing in Henderson. I put up five TVs. I built a nursery and spent a lot more money over there. I built all the things I remodeled and built the whole wing, spent more money over there than I've spent here, and did the exact same things. You know what? Because I'm trying to preach the gospel. You say, well, you spent all our money. Can I tell you something? We have more money in both accounts than we had last year at this time. A lot more money. You say, well, man, we're not going to make it in Henderson. We don't have enough money. I'm hearing those things too. Can I tell you, 50% of our cost over there is my salary. And I've arranged to get a job on third shift full time so Henderson will make it. Can I tell you something? There's still strong opposition to the gospel. And I'm dealing with it head on because I'm trying to win the loss. Can I tell you something, church? They rang out to the whole region. In fact, if you could put a... How many have ever seen those satellites that have the infrared 
scanner on it, and you can see infrared, like heat images from the satellite. If we put a heat image on Henderson and Evansville, and we could somehow gauge how far has the gospel went from this building and that building, like how far into that neighborhood has the gospel reached? How have we taken the gospel? Let's compare ourselves with Thessalonica. They rang out all over the region and all over the world, and they were poor, and they were persecuted. How far has the gospel rang out on Delaware Street? How far? You say, but man, we have a pretty building. It's decorated really nice. Can I tell you something? This building is only useful as a tool to reach the lost. And as much as this building reaches the lost, thank you, as much as this building reaches the lost, it's valuable. And as much as it doesn't reach the lost, it's worthless. And Henderson is the same way. You say, well, man, it's special to me. It's special to me as long as it preaches the gospel. As long as it reaches the neighborhoods. As long as it, the gospel is ringing out, Henderson is valuable. You say, well, Chad, it's precious to me. Can I tell you something? The gospel needs to be precious to us. It's the most important thing. People all around this community are dying. And the question is, are we hooked up together? Are we all trying to reach the, you know, I, I will not be satisfied until that basement is full of hundreds of teenagers. Until they're all over the place to the point people are saying, Chad, there's too many teenagers in here. Until there are college kids everywhere asking questions about God. And, and, and people are saying, man, I want to know more about God. And we're actually spending more time ministering to college kids because they're all over the place. I want to see senior citizens full in this place. I want to see senior citizens that are lonely in this community plugged in to this church. I want to see children's programs, teenage programs, college programs minister to the senior citizens. I want to see disabled people able to get both floors of this church. Church, we got to preach the gospel or what are we doing? Are we plugged in together in this or are we not plugged in together? And then Paul goes on to say, let me tell you how I really behaved. In fact, he says, for you know five times, meaning he's defending himself five times in chapter 2, trying to tell him, you know I wasn't like that. You know what I did. And he said, in fact, I was like a mother nursing a baby. Now, this is a funny picture. Now you're picturing me nursing a baby. Now, see, they got to get rid of that mental picture. But this is like the most careful analogy you can give, because if you're a mother, that's the most vulnerable thing you'll ever have in your life is a baby that you're nursing. And if you're taking care of a baby, you're constantly, in fact, I think my wife, I'm not going to tell I ruined her Christmas gift. One of the shirts she had, she showed me, <laughs> it's your Christmas gift for the baby, so I can't say the statement that was on it. But you're always responding to a crying baby. In fact, every moment, in fact, how many know a mother sacrifices everything to deal with the cries of that baby? And Paul said, that's what I was when I was there. He goes, I put down everything in my life. He said, in fact, not only give you the gospel, he said, I gave you my very life. And so, church, that's why leaders 
That's, that's, that's what a good church looks like. That's how you preach the gospel. He had a church that was less than a year old and he was constantly getting up for a feeding. He was constantly responding to a dirty diaper. Constantly. How many of you know there's a lot of dirty diapers when you're, when you're in church and you're ministering to people and, and if we pull them in off these streets, how many know we're going to have a lot of dark, dirty diapers to change? We're going to have a lot of late night feedings. We're going to have a lot of late night counseling. And Paul said, that's what I really was, not what they're telling you. He said, I gave my very life. And I was like a nursing mother. And then he said, I also was like a father. He said, you know, the father that is urging you to live a life worthy of God. How many of you know sometimes you need a pastor that doesn't just patch on the butt like mommy and put your little passy in your mouth. Sometimes you got to be like a dad and say, straighten up. You know, straighten up. I've, I've sat in church many times and, and they felt me pinch them or they felt me look at them or they felt me say, hey, straighten up. We don't act that way. How many of you know Paul was also that? At times he was a comforter and at times he was saying, hey, This is going to be stern, but it's going to be good for you. And you know, the Bible says that in uh, Psalm 68, he said, I'll be a father to the fatherless. He said, I will take the lonely, I will set them in families. You say, man, I wish you would do that. People need dads. People need a family. There's a lot of lonely people. Church, we got a sign up there that says, welcome home. And you know, I hated to put that up there. You know why? Because it's everybody does it. Everybody does it and it means nothing. But it means something to me. So that's why I put it up. How many know we're called to be fathers to the fatherless? A family to the lonely? We're called to be a family. That's what Paul was saying. I came in and I was your family. And he was so happy because they didn't listen to the things that they were saying about him that weren't true. Uh, Timothy brought back word and said, hey, Paul, they still love you. Paul was like, wow, you know, they love me. And so why is the preaching of the word so important? Why can we not disconnect it? In fact, turn if you would. It's not in my notes, so I'm doing this by memory here. Hopefully I get a good memory. Isaiah 55 says, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven. And a worship team, you can come up here. And do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So as my words that go out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be sent forth in peace. Do you hear this? He said his word goes forth like the rain comes down on the crops and brings forth bread. And then he says again in Romans chapter 10, listen to this. Romans chapter 10 says, How then can they call on the one 
they have not believed in, and how can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard, and how can they hear without someone preaching it to them, and how can they preach it unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Church, we're connected. How wonderful are the feet of those who bring the good news, because if they don't hear the message of the good news, how can they be saved? I'm preaching the word, and I've been sent to preach the word. You've been sent to take that word and reverberate with it. In fact, if you want to be in this pulpit, I, I, the Bible says it is a wonderful thing you desire, but let me tell you something, you're going to be tested. You know, we've got to, we've got to have each other's backs, church. We've got to be connected. We've got to support one another in order to preach this gospel because I'm going to tell you, if we looked at a scanner from satellite image and looked at how much our gospel has reached our community, I'm just being honest. I'm afraid I would be disappointed. We would see some progress, but church, how many know the gospel has got to reach this entire city? That's why I'm so eager to meet with so many pastors. And you know what? Something we got to really watch. I hear all the time, well, that, I say, man, I, you know, I had lunch with this pastor. And somebody say, well, you know, I'm like, oh boy, here I go. Then have lunch with another one. I say, man, I'm so excited to work with this pastor to reach people. And they're like, well, you know. Well, you know. How many know there are a lot of personalities as pastors? They're not my personality. And I'm not their personality. And But you know, there are a lot of people that have been called and sent to reach people that I will never reach. And so church, we've got to support each other. If they're called by God, let's support them. And if we're hearing the message, let's get the message out. Let's bring people into his house because God's called us to preach for a reason so they can believe. He wants us to reverberate all around the world. He wants us to reverberate. And I'm sorry, I'm going to the Lord in prayer here, but I'm sorry if I'm harsh, but I'm just teaching through the Bible. I'm reverberating what Paul said following his example. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Stand to your feet if you would. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. It covers everything, Lord. Even the things that are unpleasant. Father, help us, Lord. It's all about the gospel, Lord. It's all about nothing else but your gospel. Help us get our eyes fixed. Paul said that he doesn't care what people think. He only cares what God thinks. And Lord, let us all be that way, Lord God, that we're focused on you and only you, focused on your gospel, the good news, your message, Lord, that we might be faithful, Lord God, to deliver it like Paul did, Lord, and reach people, Lord. Bless this word. Let it go forth and bear fruit. In your name I pray. Church, the altars are open. If you've never given your heart to the Lord, I'm here to pray for you. Don't make me beg you. If you've never given your heart to the Lord, there's a place here. You can talk to me after the service. We can get together one day this week. But if you've never given your heart to the Lord, it's time to get right.
There's no time to wait. If you've got something you need prayer for, there's a place up here for you. Maybe you got something coming up. Even if it's small to everybody else, it's big to God. How many know that? Maybe there's an attitude in your heart that hasn't been right. There's a place up here. Hallelujah. Let's pray about it. All right? Hallelujah. The altars are open. I'm going to give you a few minutes, and then we're going to have a baby dedication after the service this morning. So I welcome everybody to stay and help me dedicate these little girls. Hallelujah.